title here. I couldn't, uh, Pastor asked me, I, th I don't remember when he asked me, maybe Thursday or Sunday if, if I'd be available. I said, you bet. He asked, I'm going to be available. I love to teach. Uh, fun opportunity, not a whole lot of time to kind of prepare. So I didn't get all the scriptures up there. So I will try to remind you where I am so you can follow me. Uh, but we're going to be uh, starting off in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, and even before I do that, I'm just going to read a verse elsewhere. But we're going to be hanging out in 1 Timothy for quite some time. And anyway, it was interesting. Um, we were, my family, we were all sitting around the table. We were doing devotions and because we do devotions every day, all the, okay, we don't. We'd like to, but we never do enough. And it's one of those things. But we were doing devotions and we were all together. We were hanging out and just going through stuff. And oh my gosh, it's just always so amazing when you just sit down, your family, you open God's word and you share and they share and they ask and we go off in all different directions but it's God's word and I know it's just the Lord encouraging us and we're looking at things but we were reading a verse we were reading a second John and I'm just going to read it but we're going to go to Timothy but second John it's chapter one or the only chapter verse eight but it says in verse seven I'll just seven and eight I'll read them it says for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh this is a deceiver and an antichrist and then verse 8 look to yourselves that we or you do not lose those things we worked for but that we may receive a full reward and we're like well what are those things that we worked for we don't do works to get saved or anything like that but i don't understand how what we were working for how are we doing what are the things and you know one of the kids said, well it's the evangelism it's it's sh sharing christ with people and introducing them to christ it's it's our character it's our reputation it's it's us ministering it's 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 rewards in this time and the time to come and and all of these different things so started a great conversation it's like well what is the work that we do why do we do it do we do it so that we can get to heaven absolutely not we do it because of what he's given us in heaven we do it because of all the things that the lord has done for us and um so I ended up in 1 Timothy 4.8 because I have a verse that I, I kind of like. And so you guys are going to learn all about this verse, 4, verse 8. And it says this, for bodily exercise is profit, right? It profits little, but uh, godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. And I like to exercise. I like to run. So you're going to learn about marathons, running, all that stuff because, that, no, I'm kidding. I will share a little bit, but... Nonetheless, when I'm looking at Paul and I'm looking at Timothy and these verses right here, the, the first thing is, is Timothy or Paul is writing to Timothy is a little bit about himself, what's going on. And so before we really get into these verses here in chapter 4, in chapter 1, he writes in, in verse 15, he writes, um, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. But even before that, he thanks Christ our Lord, and he's really, and he says in verse 12, he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. All that was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So Paul right away is writing Timothy. He says, you know what? I'm here because of God's grace, his love, his mercy, his 
that's why I'm I'm here. And he, so he's recognizing by by God's grace, he's received mercy, and he's turning around, able to share with Timothy. In uh, chapter 2 in Timothy, some of the other things. And the reason I want to just look at these couple sections before verse 4 is because he starts chapter 4 in, in um, or in Timothy, he starts uh, at verse 6 that I wanted to read in that section. It says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, he's talking about these things. So what are these things? These things are the grace and the mercy that have had. And in chapter 2, we can look at verses 5 through 7. It says, for there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He was appointed a preacher, a po an apostle. And that's kind of like, well, we've all got an appointment. We've all been asked to do something. You know, I, I look at it and, man, I, I've got a killer appointment. I got six kids, I got a wife, I got business, I got all kinds of stuff. I know what I'm appointed to do. I know I'm there to share and teach uh, my family and he said well I'm not married I don't have any kids or, or whatever so we'll start with something simple you got a brother a sister a cousin a mom a dad a spouse kids neighbors we all have some point in those so again you know maybe I'm a little stingy but I gotta my family takes up enough of time I mean seriously there's a lot going on there and that's but that's what God's called me to do that's where I go where are you what are you involved in right now or what are the different projects or anything like that? So it's interesting. My wife, you know, busy and all this stuff. We homeschool all the kids. I mean, we so felt called to keep such a thumb on the kids. We homeschooled them. No, we just felt the Lord's telling us this is what you need to do. And I'm thinking, wow, we've been homeschooling. Sam's in college now. And we started him in pre-kindergarten. So you look at it, it's like 14 years. We've been homeschooling all the kids. You know, he was that first little guinea pig with pre-kindergarten. I mean, everybody after that, we started jumping them in. But just amazing what, if you're called to do it and you just move forward, there's a plan you put in place. There's one year after the next or one week after the next, whatever it is. I can remember when we first started doing these things. It's like, so are you going to homeschool next year? <laughs> I haven't got through next month yet. And, you know, it's like, well, we'll figure that out next year and then you've got kids getting into high school how are we going to do that it just it amazes me i got these kids in college now and and just to see what my wife's been able to do what we've been able to do as a family but we knew what god has called us to do and so it's kind of interesting so you know my wife is always kind of you know at home homeschooling and people knock at the door they'll bugger they'll whatever and she's like this is what she needs to do what if it's the police what if they want them in school you know all these things go through her mind but you know what god's called us this is what we're going to do so just so when the kids and i were were and my wife we just last week we're doing this devotion some of these things came up what are the, what are those things that that uh we would not get a full reward for or what are those works that we would lose and so we were kind of thinking um and my wife goes oh that's so funny just you know like two weeks ago jehovah's witnesses came knocking on the door again right and they're always coming by and and she's like, oh, she's in the middle of doing school, whatever. And, and so she answers the door and she goes, you know what? I'm a born again believer 
and nothing you say is going to change my mind or convince me to do something else. They're like, oh. I said, well, yeah, a couple of your neighbors said you guys were like really, really spiritual or religious. <laughs> Just like, what? Even the neighbors know who we are in the corner of our little, our little cul-de-sac area. So people are talking. People are watching. What are you? We've been there for 16 years. And I think, wow, that's kind of amazing. So they know what's going on. And then I started thinking, well, what are some of the things that I've done? And uh, again, just to read that, that verse, it says, Look to yourselves so that we do not lose the things we've worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. And I'm thinking, well, what do we work for? Yeah, reputation, those different things. But eventually, it's, it's the crowns, it's the rewards that we have from the Lord. And I'm thinking, well, you know, we've prayed with neighbors, um, done hospital visits for neighbors. Uh, they know our family is always going to church on Sunday mornings. Sunday nights, they know we're going somewhere, and midweek, they know we're dressed up. A lot of times, we're going somewhere, and and uh, you know they hear the kids and my wife because during the fall and spring and sometimes the cool summers, the doors open, the windows open, they can hear all the kids. Our music room is like right in front there. You can hear all the worship music wafting out the out in the front. So you know what? Those are some of the things that we're doing. We're just out doing what God calls us to do, and we're just doing it, but it ministers. People hear it. So, again, Paul is writing to Timothy some of the specific, thing, specific things that Timothy needs to do to guard his church. Some of the things that he's, that he's doing. And so, again, in, in chapter 4, he writes, in verse 6, it says, If you instruct the brethren in these things. So that's what we looked at. The grace and the mercy is the one thing that we looked at. And then he he confirmed his calling, what he's called to do in chapter 2. We all got a call. We all got to do something. We need to be encouraged to move forward and do it. And then, in fact, in 2.12, this is something a lot of uh, people will talk about. It says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man, but to be in silence. They're like, okay, here we go again. Well, what that's saying is very simply, it says, do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man. And that word teach, it's Okay, really to understand, it says it's a prolonged causative form of the primary verb. What does that mean? Simply, simply put, continuously teach as someone's master, in other words, over a man. That's what he says. Men need to teach the men. The women can share. Do we have godly women in this church? Do I learn from what the godly women share or do or say? Of course I do but it's not being submitted under a woman, and that's what he's talking about. You need this church. You're the pastor. Here's what you need to do. Here's some of the things you need to do. And then he goes on in chapter 3. There's a couple of verses. Uh, just looking at verses 2, 3, and 4, I guess. This is a bishop. This would be a leader, uh, a pastor over the church. This is um, a bishop must then be blameless, a husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior. So they're talking about not quick to be angry, reverent, um, would be sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. That's someone who can divide the word of God. And it's not given to wine, violent, nor greedy for money. He's not here just to get paid. Um, the uh, But gentle, not quarrelsome. Um, one that is just governed by, by love, by gentleness. 
uh, one who rules his own house well. And he goes on further, if the man in verse 5 doesn't know how to rule his own house, how is he going to take care of the people in church? So you, you look at the family. What's the family like? Um, those are the things. And it says, you know what, that's just not, that's not just a bishop. That's any good servant of Christ. This is who we should strive to be and do. So he's writing these things to uh, to Timothy. And then further on, if we look a little bit further in verses 10 and 11, he says, but let those also be first tested. Let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Uh, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. It's just filled with love, serving the Lord, caring about other people, ministering to one to another. Ministering is simply setting your si your needs aside and putting someone else's before your own. That's what we're called to do. These are the kind of people Timothy is called. So he tells them in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. See, Timothy, just do these things. All will be well. And that's what he's telling Timothy to do. So as he goes on in verse 7, he says, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise, exercise yourself toward godliness. Right, exercise. What is exercise? You know, uh, in November, last November, I decided, you know, I'm going to do another marathon. I'm going to do it in October. So I did one in October, and so I start thinking about the commitment, and I'm like, okay, October marathon. I got to train, train like you can't believe. Diet's going to change a little bit because I got to carry this heft around, right? So it's got to thin out a little bit. I get the schedule, and I'm like, man, this schedule's work. It's tedious. It's it's like laborious. But you know what? Thank God, I like to run. So if something's laborious and the very thing that you like to do, is it really laborious? Yeah, it's going to make you tired. It, same thing with ministry. It's the same kind of thing. you got to plan it out. So the only problem was I finally decide that I'm going to do this when I have 33 weeks left. So it's like February-ish or so. I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm so out of shape at that time that I have to have this 18-week schedule to get me to the 18-week schedule to get me to do the marathon. So I need a schedule to get me to the schedule. i got to plan this thing week after week. I'm looking at this, and at the time, I'm running four, maybe six miles, and like, oh, my gosh, in a week, I'm going to have to hit seven, two weeks. It's eight nines, and then there's three weeks on there. There's some ten miles on there. And I'm like, this, it's been so long since I had run that. I'm like, how's that going to happen? Well, you got a plan. You got to sit there, got to do it mile after mile, week after week, 33 weeks later. So it was uh, about nine months of total preparation. I ended up running the marathon. I wanted to do it in four hours, but I knew how I'd have to really work. And I knew based on my plan and how I'd done, I'd do it between four hours and 15 minutes and four hours and 30 minutes. I did it like right in the middle of the time, 422. That's exactly what I planned for. It's kind of interesting or what I got from how I trained to do that marathon. So what are the goals? How did I want to do this? What did I need to do? What projects are you in the middle of? What project am I doing? What did I really want to accomplish? I had this end goal. I wanted to do it. I knew what I needed to do, but I'm telling you, I would, I would run a day, rest. I'd run three days, rest, run. I may just do this over and over and over again. And so 
not to make a big deal about this, but looking at the verse, it says here, verse 8, it says, for bodily exercise profits a little. Hey, right here, God's word said it profits a little. So thinking about the little profit that exercise does, but I'm in great shape. I can run 26 miles and back. I'm kind of jokingly said, man, this kind of schedule, Randy, I could run 1,200 miles in a year. <laughs> That's like crazy, right? So December, the first week of December, I ran like eight miles. And it's a couple days into December, and I realize, oh, my gosh, if I run 130 miles the rest of December, I'll hit my 1,200 miles. I've never run 1,200 miles. I've run 1,100 miles six years ago. The only problem is I'm six years older. That was pretty hard. This time, it's been really hard. So I figured, okay, so I've been literally running 10 miles every other day, and I'll finish on December 30th, and I got one more day just in case I can't do it, right? So how does that happen? Does it just happen? Absolutely not. There's a lot of planning that goes into that, a lot of grace from God, because you know what I'll tell you? There was 10, 12 years ago, I was sitting kind of in the back row of the sanctuary, mostly because I had a TENS machine attached to my back because I could hardly sit. I'd be teaching a class with the TENS machine hooked to me all day because my back was so in pain. Pastor would have prayer after services. Anybody needing prayer? My hand would go up, service after service. Every time I'd come up front for prayer. And finally, you know, the Lord just kind of healed me, found me a chiropractor, got me to where I can run, and it strengthens the right muscles. And so I run for two reasons. I love it, number one. Number two, it strengthens just the right numbers, where I, the muscles where I don't have that back pain. So it's, it's great, but it's only by God's grace and his ability that he's given me that and a love for it, so I'm willing to put in the work. You know, a lot of people are like, how on earth can you do that? I love it. I love running around you. I've run 7,700 miles, 7,700 miles around Ontario and Chino in the last, this, I'm now starting my 10th year, for nine years. I love running. It's just, it's something I love to do. And so imagine all of that, and I can go out there and do that, and it just says bodily exercise profits a little. But what does the rest of the verse say? But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So those things, the work that we do and all those things that we looked at that verse in 2 John 1, 8, that, that we not discard all that work or lose all the work that we've done in the past, our reputation, everything we've done, all of that, this, the godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that is to come. Yeah, you know, running, I, I'll listen to my books, a, a favorite one I would recommend to anybody. I gave it away to all my groomsmen when I got married, and I, I've probably read it, I don't know, six times. I've listened to it half a dozen times. Disciplines of a Godly Man. Awesome book. Great ideas. Great book. So I'll listen to that, or there's The Way of the Master, bo books on Audible, get those or get those so hour and a half every other day I've been listening to books and my Bible and all that hour and a half I'm out there in the morning um, or on my drive your commute wherever it is just get God's word and, and good good books and listen to them what are your goals what do you want to accomplish um, what, do you, what do I want to accomplish with the kids what do I want to accomplish with my wife and the things that I do that's where your, your, the, the behaviors, the things that you do, the works that you've done, they stack up on top of one another. There was 
um, you know, I was telling you about, I remember trying to teach children's ministry. I would teach class. I'd be in that tens machine. I was struggling. But you know what? God called me to do it. He gave me the strength to do it. I'm doing it. And just, I think it was last, I don't know, Saturday or well, the beginning of the work week somewhere, I went over to Starbucks to get a coffee. And this young lady's just looking at me, just all grand. She's probably 17, 18 maybe, just a sweet thing. And, and she's just smiling at me. I'm like, kind of like, why is she looking at me like this, right? And her name was, was Shauna. And I'm like, hi. And she's like, finally she goes, you don't remember me, do you? <laughs> I'm like, no. Well, who are you? Shauna? And she's yeah. She goes, I'm, I'm Jimmy Hinojosa's daughter. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I hadn't seen this young lady for probably eight or nine years she was a little kid in the class and you know she's three feet taller she's still tiny but three feet taller and I'm thinking oh my gosh that I it was so hard I went I taught even though I was in pain or doing whatever and I could just remember wow there's a reward it's kind of like wow there was something that I did some those works what would have happened if I was out hanging out drinking wine next to it with my buddies and cursing or whatever and, and she walked by and she saw me I'd discount everything I'd lose the entire everything and, and perhaps even undermine her faith and so these are the things that we keep going and we keep moving forward and the habits and the things that we do do you read chapter one year bible this, I want to talk about these things and, and the planning and all that because you know what it's the end of the year we got a couple more weeks to go, and that's it. We get to start a new year. It's an excuse to do those, you know, new year resolutions or whatever. But it also gets us thinking, well, you know, maybe I want to do something different this year. Maybe maybe I can commit to reading the Bible in a year. Maybe I just get on that schedule and get the one-year Bible and just start going. Maybe I can go to church more. Maybe I can, you know, do whatever it is that God has called us to do to deepen our relationship with him so that we have this godliness that, that, that pervades us and just goes elsewhere so that I can look at that verse in, in Second John it says look to yourselves that we do not do the things we work for we don't want to lose those things um, in the previous verse it says do not it says don't be deceived in fact um, um, yeah I did read it. anyway it says don't be deceived you know in fact in 2015 I had a marathon I was scheduled for to, to run and and I deceived myself. I was running. I had the schedule. I was doing everything. And about five weeks before my marathon, I twisted my ankle. I was on crutches for over a week. And so I didn't run for two weeks. And then I had to get back into it again. In fact, there was one day I was running a longer run. It's about an 18-mile run. And 15 miles, I just I had to give up in the dreaded thing. Honey. Can you come get me, please? <laughs> she had to literally drive and come get me because I'm thinking I could do this. I still went and ran that marathon, and oh, my gosh, it was like horrible. It was the hardest thing and longest thing. I've almost five hours to do this thing. It was just it was dreadful. I deceived myself thinking, oh, it's just a couple of weeks. It's just I, did, I stopped doing the training. I stopped running. I stopped building up that endurance, the the everything that I needed for for doing what I needed for that task. Our task is to minister the gospel. Our task is to go out there and share with people. Our task is is to bring those relatives to Christ. Our task is to 
share the love of Christ, especially this time of the year. We have these opportunities to do that. Oh, it's just a couple of weeks. I don't need to read every day. I read almost all the, all the whole Bible this year. Whatever, Don't stop. You keep going, Les. What's going to happen? We're going to lose in those things that we worked for. The opportunity to share the, the all the time behind us and all those things that we had just kind of carries us forward, our reputation, everything else that lays it out there that finally somebody comes to you and says, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Whatever. Finally, the, after years and years and years, those things happen, but it's that reputation. So nonetheless, um, got another, another neighbor. <laughs> it was kind of funny. He's a few houses down, but I was talking to him. It was on the 4th of July. It was like the 3rd of July, and he says, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get a couple of cases. I'm going to have my brother over, and we are going to party on the 4th. And Oh, well, I know you're not going to do that. I'm like, how does he know? It's not like I went around and all the neighbors said, you know what, I'm a Christian. I'm going to church. Don't bother me. Um, whatever you need or whatever, and I don't drink. I don't do, or uh, I'm not partying. I don't do all this stuff. I'm not going around doing that. They see me. What was really weird is this neighbor is actually a relative of a cousin's wife's uncle or something, whatever it is. So my cousin even knows this guy and said something to me. So it's a small world, but all of the things that you do, people catch up. People are everywhere. They see what you do. So what is it? Chapter chapter 4, verse 6, it says, If you instruct the brethren to these things, it's, it's us too, all of these things. We heard what it is to live as a deacon or as a, a pastor or, or minister or whatever. You will be a good minister of, of Jesus Christ, nourished in the word of faith and good doctrine you have carefully followed. Verse 7, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. Don't pay attention to those old stories or ancient proverbs or whatever. You know, all this stuff. It's, you know, it's God's word. It's, it's through his people, his church. It's continually being in it. It's going to train us, teach us, and show us the right thing to do. Verse 8, so for bodily exercise, profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is, that's stuff right now, our witness, everything that we do, and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For the, for to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. So it says here, we verse ten, we both labor and suffer reproach. Yeah, there's some difficult times. There are some issues we have, but we labor. We do these. We do work. Uh, for these things. And then chapter 5 and 6 in Timothy, he's just telling them how to treat people right with respect, honor, etc., and those kinds of things. But these things are here, again, to, to direct us and to guide us. So what are our goals? What do we want out of life? You know, half-heartedly thinking, oh, I could do 1,200 miles, and I was so diligent all year long with my running week after week after week after day after day and just doing it. December could come along. I can... I believe I can run more miles in a month than I've ever run before and run more miles in a year because I've kept the steady progress. What about reaching our family for Christ, their relatives? We've kept a steady progress. Every year, you're the one that's called on to pray. Why? Because you're that Jesus person. Steady every year, every year. Maybe this is the time you can have that opportunity. You're so in God's word, you recognize an opportunity, you get to go one step further. One more than last time, just because 
you're prepared. Just because you've, you've been there, you're ready, you're waiting for it, you're praying for it. Um, my never-ending project of kids. You know, now I've got, I've got one in India. You know, I used to just really stress. It was so hard because my daughter, she's, she's 31. Her mother is, 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 is my ex-wife. Her mother is an unbeliever. And yet, Christina's the one that's out in India ministering the gospel. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Only God can do those things. And now I got three more kids. Now they're in college and they're coming home and telling me the stories. And one of my kids came home. Ah, you're not going to believe what happened. We were at, where, where was we at? Arcadia. Is there a huge mall in Arcadia? There is? Okay. So, yeah, I was in this. I don't go to malls. I don't take my kids to malls. I've never seen a huge mall that's blocks and blocks long. Um, so he goes, oh, you want to go? I was there for eight hours with like five friends. And we're just doing all kinds of stuff, hanging out, whatever. And I finally got the witness to my friend. In fact, one of them is Jew, who's not, not, not acting as Jew. But another one is, is um, just kind of has questions once in a while and just opened up this huge dialogue. Went from, from the fallacy of, of evolution and how these facts aren't even facts and on into the and he was just able to just go to, because he's been studying he's been listening to, every week he's been listening to podcasts on these different people and on these things so that he could minister to his friends what are you doing what are we doing that changed me i'm like oh my gosh you know how many hours am i in the car am i just listening to music i'm listening to a, a story on a book instead of maybe a podcast so that i can reach a family member or somebody else i'm like man you know so there's my son encouraging me but what, what do we want to accomplish? Ultimately, I want godly kids. They're in college now. I want them, you know, to be able to hold down a job. I want them to be, to, to be godly parents, raise, raise, you know, godly kids. These are the things we got to build into them. And so, again, if all of this stuff, back to the marathon thing, if, if, if this exercise, this exercise can profit little, and I know what I can do just by that little profit of, of exercising how much more so when he says but godliness again is profitable for all things all things all all means all everything you go and you leave here whether you figure out where to drive where you where you need to to work everything that you do it's profitable for everything so again think of what project are you in the middle of what do you want to accomplish how are you going to get there but think of it as it's the family. This is the family time that we have in this. They've been massaged all month long, listening to all the Christmas songs. They hear Jesus everywhere. This is the time. we got to strike while the iron's hot. So this is the time. And, and so, you know, for me, one of the other things, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child and when he's old, he will not depart from him the way, the, the way that he should go. So there was a, a, I have a couple of favorite people in scripture. Um, Obed-Edom is one of them, and um, he was an interesting character. King David, Hezekiah, love just what Hezekiah has done and how he just gives things over to the Lord, and, and just a few of Daniel, Joseph, obviously, but these are great characters, and I have another one that I just really, really like, and we're going to go to Numbers chapter 26, and it's Issachar. Numbers 26, go to Issachar. Issachar, interesting, in that... Um, uh, Numbers 26 and uh, 23 to 25. So Issachar, just so you know, he's one of Leah's kids, and 
And uh, so Jacob had Rachel and Leah, and they were in a war with all kids. And Issachar was the ninth-born kid, the ninth-born son. And, and Leah, she just wanted another son. She wanted a son. In fact, what she did is Reuben, the oldest son, came in with these mandrakes, like, like an aphrodisiac. And, and so um, uh, Leah had these, these mandrakes and gave them to Rachel and said, you know what, here, you can have these mandrakes. We'll help you have kids with Jacob, but I'm buying Jacob tonight with them. He's mine. So uh, Issachar's born. And you know what Issachar means? Wages. All your life, you know what your name is because mom bought you. <laughs> I mean, bought the night, and your, your name is Wages. So he goes through life with the name of Wages. So if we look at Numbers 26, uh, 23, we can see the sons of Issachar, according to their families, were Tola, the family of Tola, of Toloites, and Pua, the family of the Punites, of Jeshubab, the family of the Shubites, and Shimram, the family of the Shimronites. These are the families of Issachar, according to to those who were numbered with them. There are 64,300. And, and that's interesting, too. It's a book of numbers. There are 64,300. This is the end of numbers. So just kind of a little note when you look at it. When the Issacharites started out, they were, um, they were a little over 50,000 in number. And now they're 64,000 at the end of the whole term. They grew by over 20%. There's only two other tribes that grew that much throughout the year. The Simeonites dropped it by 50% because they ended up being wicked. Um, so there's a whole lot of other things, but just to see Issachar, they grew by almost over 20% in size, and the Lord definitely blessed them. But there's also something else you can see. He named uh, one of his kids Tola, or the Tolites. Do you know what Tola means? Tola means worm. Why would he call his kid worm? And you know what it was? It's just naming his kid in relationship to who he is, um, if you will, uh, 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 as a person to God. I'm but a worm. In fact, it says here in James, James 4.10, it says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Tola, if, if, if you'll go to Judges, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Judges chapter 10, Judges chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Tola. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shemar, the mountain of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shemir. So here's one of Issachar's sons became a judge. Well, that's speaking volumes. You know, a son of, of, of worm, okay? Again, recognizing what he is before a mighty God. I'm but a worm. And, and so there. The next guy, Pua, excuse me, Pua. Pua means blown away or vapor. What's James 4, 4 say? Life is but a vapor. We're but a vapor. He's recognizing, we're, again, we're but a vapor. What are we here to do for the Lord in the short amount of time we have? Life is but a vapor. And then the, another one, Shimram, means guard. And uh, Jude 1 through 3, I, I love what um, is written here. Jude contested, or not Jude, um, 
Michael contested earnestly for the, I'm sorry, Satan contended earnestly for the, no. Uh, in Jude, one, let, let me just turn to Jude. I only got half the verse written here. Jude chapter 1. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I find it necessary to write you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Oh, yes, that, now I get it. Um, to guard or, or contend. It's, it's um, contending for, for the faith, that which you believe in. It's standing firm and moving forward in that. And so he's naming his kid that and Jeshuab will return uh, or turns back it's 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 referencing coming back to the lord and so these are the kind of these are the names that issachar named his kids and so um you can look at it as judges uh, as children and just naming these kids the way he names them you can tell a lot about a family too when you look at their kids and, and how they name them with the grandkids and and, and all that it's just kind of neat to see where people are in their lives and and, uh, you know, I look at even even my kids, you know, and where I was in my life. You know, my first one's Christina, and then I've got Jonathan, David, Samuel, Abigail, and, and Hannah. It's, and it's just you kind of look at these things. And so also you can look at, um, if you look at First Chronicles uh, chapter 7. Uh, oops. First Chronicles 7 after Kings. First Chronicles 7, a couple of verses, actually 1 through 5. It says here, The sons of Ichar were Issachar were Tola, Pua, Jeshub, and Shimron, four in all. The sons of Tola were Uzi, oh, I would have to read all these names, U Uzi, uh, Rephiah, Jareel, Jehamai, Jevasim, sorry, pastor, for laughing at you when your mispronounces, uh, and Shemuel, the heads of their father's house. The sons were Tola. They were mighty men of valor in their generations. Their number in the days of David was 22,600. These were the Issacharites, okay, relative to the Iskar. The son of Uzi was, the Ezra, was Izrahiah. The sons of Izrahiah were Michael, Obadiah, Joel, and Ishiah. All five of them were chief men. This is from Issachar. It's amazing. And with them were their generations, according to their father's house, were 36,000 troops ready for war, for they had many wives and sons. <laughs> they were very prolific, and they served God, and they were just, they're incredible. And it says here, Now their brethren among all the families of Issachar were mighty men of valor, listed in their genealogies, 87,000 in all. And their genealogies, going back a couple hundred years, 87,000 men that were what? Mighty men of valor. Over here, in, in earlier in Chronicles, you can see there were three tribes that were kind of added together. There were 44,000 in their lineage of, of uh, mighty men of valor, or were they even mighty? They were men of valor. And then there was another one, um, uh, I can't remember who it was, was it? Joseph or somebody there, or I can't remember who it was, but there was another one who had 27,000 in their lineage. But when we're looking at Issachar, 87,000 mighty men of valor. This is who Issachar was, and this is 
the, the, the godliness that he lived in his life, and you can just see the naming of his kids and so on and so on, and the judges and all these men of valor. It's fascinating. And, and I really, for a while, I didn't understand. If you turn to Genesis 49, there Jacob takes all 12 of his sons, and he pronounces blessings on them. And it didn't make sense. So Genesis 49, 10. And um, Jacob's on his deathbed, and he's going to bless his kids and, and prophesy over them and say what's going on. So kind of give you an idea. We look at Genesis 49, 10. Usually everybody is familiar with that one. It says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now, you know, what's a scepter? It's the right to, to give law. You know, the, the king, if somebody walked in before the king and he did not extend the scepter, the person would be put to death. So the scepter is uh, a way of saying the right to have total complete, complete control over your domain with like capital punishment. You have ultimate authority over everyone. And it says here that the scepter, the ability to rule and have total control will not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. So the Jewish people the tribe of Judah won't lose their ability to rule themselves until the Messiah comes. What happened when Jesus came? He was there. They couldn't put him to death. The Romans had to do it. They lost their right. They didn't have that right. And that's this prophesy, the tribe of Judah, moving forward. But just to kind of give you an idea of what these were. So now, looking, moving forward and looking at Issachar is kind of fascinating. Genesis uh, 49, 14. It says, Issachar is a strong donkey. Well, I don't want to call it a donkey. But lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and the land was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Okay, band of slaves. He's a donkey. He's got all of these things. Well, what does this mean? You know, when you look at that, a strong donkey, it's, um, he's lying down between two burdens. And he saw that rest was good and the land was pleasant. He is working hard. So much so, he's a strong dog. He's between two burdens and he's working that land. That's not easy. It's hard work, but it says the land was pleasant. He was blessed from it. That hard work paid dividends. And he bowed his shoulder to a burden and he became subservient or what, what what do we look at now um a bond servant paul writes in, in romans i'm a bond servant of jesus christ he's a servant there to do that work was a hard work yeah very very hard work you can see when you call them slaves but what happened what did it produce what do those trials produce what what do we hear uh, uh james chapter one says uh consider it all joy when we get those trials. Here he is, he's prophesied, dude, you're going to be working between burdens, but you know what? The rest is going to be good. What is it? The, the sleep of a Ecclesiastes, I think, tells us the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. You work hard, you're going to sleep well, but for a wealthy man, he's troubled about everything. Can't get that good sleep. So here it is, he becomes a, a band of slaves. So really, he's, he's out there, he's working hard, but what do we just read? 87,000 mighty men of valor all through his lineage. They worked hard and they well pleased the king. The king David had 23,000 
Issacharites serving him as mighty men of valor. They were there, they earned it, and they served God, they loved the Lord, they led they led the country even as, as a judge. So what you know, you think about that hard work and I think, wow, you know what? What what it's hard work to run, all that running that I do. Yeah, it's it's not easy. It's hard work. But I love it. I enjoy it. I enjoy the reward. I enjoy that reward. I could say I ran twelve hundred miles or I ran a marathon. But I like that work. Issachar liked loved the land do we love our ministry you know what i'll tell you what Uh, how many of you guys have six kids not very many people have six kids it is not easy it's hard work it's labor intensive sometimes but you know what i love my kids i love who they're becoming i love what they do i love talking to them oh my gosh it's worth the work i love the work that's that ju- that's what it all is in ministry is it tiring sometimes yeah it's tiring but i love to serve my lord i want to do what he calls me to do those are the things that, that is we're called to do so looking at uh, e- um, ecclesiastes 18 so we look at the work you know what work is the labor it's it's a gift from god when he created adam uh, what did he tell him to do did he say, okay, go have fun? He said, you know what? Tend my garden right away. Work is a gift from God. Is it hard? Yes. But you know what? We're called to work not as unto man. Colossians 3, 23, work as unto the Lord. He's the one that gave us a job. He either gave us the ability to earn that money. He's the one that keeps us well so that we can do it or whatever it is that we need to do. Thank him for it. Be grateful. Enjoy what we have. Go through the open doors that are there for us. Um, so looking at these, you know, the work that we've done, are we going to do things to, to lose that work? It says, look to yourselves that we do not lose the things that we worked for. What have I worked for? What have, just me personally, my God, look at 20 years of kids, 31 years of, of hard work raising kids. And my baby's still 15. We're still doing it. Wow. I don't want to throw that away. Those are things that just there my neighbors i've been in my neighbor for 16 years what if i got upset and flew off the handle of my neighbor mike because he broke my sprinkler again every two years he mutilates a sprinkler and i gotta dig it up and it's where all the ants are i can't get rid of those ants they bite because he trims the edge with his trimmer in fact he's lived there for 35 years or 33 years i think that he trims right down that concrete on our driveway so much so it it's like the, the metal thing dug into the sidewalk, and it's like a, a crosshatch pattern. And, and, you know, and just after a while, he gets my sprinkler. I'm like, oh, got to get out there and replace. But you know what? Just, just got to do it. You know, just love my neighbor, and, and that's where he's there. So um, looking at, at back at first, uh, first Timothy, and where I lost Timothy. It's in here. Oh, let's take a job. First Timothy chapter 4. Or, um, uh, oh no, it says, so what are people when they throw in these things away? Chapter 1, go to chapter 1, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, um, this charge, so when he's, he's telling, um, he's uh, explaining to Timothy the grace and the mercy that he has, and he, he kind of moves along and he goes under in verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, 
that by them you may wage the good warfare. So, you know, there were hands laid upon him. He was going to minister, and he's moving forward in that. And he says in verse 19, Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. I would hate to have my name in this Bible for having suffered shipwreck. In fact, Paul writes, Whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Oh, that's so awful. They're out there serving, they're doing all this stuff, and then boom to be cast out. They lost everything. All the good work, everything, the reputation, everything they had is completely gone. And and so I'm like, man, I'd hate to be one of those people. But I'm sitting here thinking, well, what is somebody that's kind of like newer in, in, in the gospel here? In Acts chapter 5, I, I let Philip is kind of cool to follow along in the book of Acts. When you look at Acts chapter 5, verse through five, I think it is. It says here, but Peter said, no, that's not the one. That's Acts 5. Never mind. Acts chapter 6. Here we go. <laughs> it says here in verse 3, Acts 6, 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, um, whom we may appoint over this business. So we've got the Hellenist widows not being ministered to, they're converted to Christianity, uh, Greeks, Greek widows, and they're like being left out of the food distribution and neglected and all that. So, you know, let's, let's find a bunch of people, we're going to take care of them. And it gives you the qualifications, good reputation. So it had to be a while, they had to be around for a while already, all the things that they've done. Verse 4, it says, but, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer, to ministry, and the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man of faith, the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of the Lord spread, and they were able to do more ministry, and, and they took care of him. But that was, that was Philip. And in chapter 8, we can look at Philip again. So here he is, he's ministering, he's taking care of widows, and distributing food, and and all that. And then in, um, in verse 26, we see of chapter 8 of Acts, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So, but I want to tell you, before that, Philip's in Samaria. In verse 4, it says, Although every, they were out preaching the word, and Philip, in verse 5, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which they did. Unclean spirits came out, crying with a loud voice. They came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed. So would you say Philip's kind of busy, incredible things are happening? And now an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Hey, Philip. I want you to go out in the middle of nowhere. Go in the middle of nowhere. And he meets this Ethiopian, Candace, the, who has a treasury of Ethiopia. And, and he's reading, and he says, I don't understand. And he preaches and shares with him, and he gets saved, and he's baptized right there. And boom, Philip gone again to, to minister somewhere else. Who knows? But then we can go all the way to chapter 21, verse 9. Paul's running around, and Philip's out here reading, twenty again, Acts 21.9, we look at 
On the next day, so Paul and his companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. He's called in verse 8 of chapter 21, who was one of the seven. Remember, they picked seven people to do the distributions to the widows, one of seven, and he stayed with him. And now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Wow, the next generation talking about his kids and who they are and what they do. There's that reward as that he's that work. He's been faithful, building upon, building upon, building of that work and ministering to people. And so he has that reputation as he moves on in history um, to, to give him credit and to minister before the Lord. And then Revelation 22, it says, 22, 12, it says, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to is with him. In Genesis 15, 1, I, I, I believe it, um, the Lord tells Abraham, I am your reward. I am your exceeding reward. We do all for him, for Christ. And so with all of that said, again, the whole reason why I even went in this direction is because of devotion I had with my family, and it was look to yourselves that we do not lose the things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. These things that we do, how do they keep us going? What is our, our reputation and the things that we do? Don't lose it. Just move forward. Hang fast. Read your Bible. Be in fellowship. All of these things build that character and that reputation so that we, at the right time, we can minister the gospel to someone who's in need. So with that, let's close in prayer. Father, we just come before you. We thank you for just an opportunity to spend time in your word. To, Father, hear what, you, what you're telling us to do. Lord, knowing that you're, you're, you're just preparing us to, to minister to, to those that, that need you. Father, we all have family members that are out there. This is the time of the year that, that we're going to visit them. Some of them aren't so fun. Sometimes they're just be belligerent or whatever, but Father, we just ask that you give us the grace to, to minister to them, to share with them, that would be a blessing. Father, that we would just be able to just share what it is that you've done in each of our lives, and Father, that we would move forward and just pour into our own families, minister to them, and bless them. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand. Don't forget to look at your calendar there in um, in the bulletin for our, our schedule but again the the candlelight service is at 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve and our Christmas morning service is at 9 a.m. on Christmas morning and then again um, we won't have a service on this coming Sunday night but we're going to have agape feast so bring your favorite dish 5 o'clock and then we're going to watch a movie afterwards. Thank you and God bless.
praise you when I'm laughing, praise you when I'm grieving, praise you every season of the soul. If we could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, then joy. 